If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Today we're going to play Bible strengthening. Luke 10, 27 and Romans 8, 7. So I'm going to start a series on genuine Christianity. That means that there's a possibility that there's a counterfeit Christianity or a false Christianity along with a genuine. So the text that we're going to look at here today is Luke 10:27. This is part 1 and then of course Romans chapter 8 verse 7. As Jesus lived his earthly life and as he ministered here Jesus was constantly questioned. I think when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, why are you doing that? You can't do that on the Sabbath. And so Jesus seemed to be always questioned or his motives uh, looked at by those who did not like him. And our text in Luke 10.27 has another uh, flavor here. So a lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to, in, to inherit eternal life? Now what Jesus does in, five, in 1026 is he asks the lawyer to how interpret scripture, at least from Deuteronomy. How do you see it? What, what way do you see the scripture playing out when it comes to eternal life? And so this lawyer, who will interpret it, and we'll look at that in just a minute, he does interpret it. In 1027a, we read this, by the way. Here's the first point. We love God. You shall love the Lord your God. Agapao, you shall love. That means to demonstrate affection. That means to demonstrate affection. But it's also in the future tense. Which means that this love of God that this Pharisee or this scribe was reading and interpreting was that it's not just a love one and done. It is a love that continues, that continues forward in, into the future. There is no end to it. It's in the future tense. That means that not only am I loving God now, but I'm going to love God moving forward in my life. There will never be a point in my life when I stop loving God. And so, uh, he's answering correctly, at least at this point. This love, and according to the Greek New Testament, this love is manifest daily in our acts and trying to do the will of God. So, this lawyer looks at Jesus and says, not only am I going to love God now and in the future, but I'm going to love him with everything that I have. And then he goes on to explain what that love is. But, now Jesus says here in verse 26, he said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so what we have here is an interpretation of how the lawyer reads Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. The Shema is 
Hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one. That's the Shema. And he's going back now and interpreting in his own life Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Well, that's the Deuteronomy text. But listen to how the lawyer interpreted that text. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your strength and mind. I don't think this lawyer is far from the kingdom of God at all. He reads that and looks at it and goes, wait a minute. To get eternal life, it has to happen inwardly. And by the way, a good Jew those who were from the Jewish persuasion, would say that text twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. They would say that twice a day. Depending, and depending, some people would say it two or three times a day, or maybe even more. Try that this week. Hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. <clears throat> if you do that, when you first get out of bed in the morning, it might have a way of setting our day. If we just get up and as we're trying to get out of bed, and we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I shall love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind. I think that's a good way to set the day. It's a good way to set the day. They would repeat this at least twice a day, in some cases more than that. But the question is, how do we love God? And the lawyer reveals how you love God. It's not just, you shall love the Lord your God. But then the lawyer goes in to interpret how to love God. First of all, he says this, love God with all of your heart. That's the psychological life of a person, dealing with the emotions. Cardia is the uh, word for heart here, which is not the, not the lave. It is the essence of a, of a person, and it speaks to the emotions. This lawyer is saying, the way that I love God and the way that I apply the Deuteronomy 6 passage to my life is that all of my emotion, everything that I have, is geared towards God. How are your emotions? Are your emotions geared towards God? A lot of times we like to do what we want to do. But this lawyer here is saying that my emotions go towards God. Secondly, the soul the inner self, the feelings, mostly the conscience. Uh, this lawyer is telling Jesus with my conscience deep down inside who I am in my soul and in myself, I am giving everything to God. And again, I, I, I don't think this lawyer was far from eternal life. The third thing he mentions here is the word strength capability or might mostly dealing with the motivations let me ask you a question this morning what motivates your life what motivates your life are you motivated by 
how much I can accomplish here, there, and everywhere else? Am I uh, motivated by my family? Am I motivated by my friends? What is my motivation? Because this lawyer is responding to Jesus and he says, what motivates my life is my love for God. And I'm going to live my life to love him with all of my motivation and being. We, we have a tendency to think the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the lawyers were bad people, but when I look at this guy, and then at the end of it, Jesus says this, the Son of God said this, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. So this guy was on to something. A fourth thing that he says is the mind or reasoning or way of thinking or thoughts. Make a list this week. Make a list this week of what you think about. So if you wake up in the morning and you go, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. I will love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. How that sets your thinking for the day. We, we get so busy, and I get it. We get so busy. We get so wrapped up in life uh, that it, it, it skews what we do in our lives at times. We make bad decisions. We do this. We do that. But our way of thinking is very, very important because if we're not thinking about God or thinking the things of God, it reveals in how we act and how we live. And so this Pharisee, this scribe, this lawyer says, my way of thinking is geared towards the love of God. Basically, and Jesus knew this. Jesus, <laughs> this is the thing about Jesus. Jesus knew the heart of this person. He knew the heart of the person. So he says, you've answered correctly. You got 100. You got 100% on this. Do this and you will live. And so Jesus is, he, I don't know. Uh, but then the lawyer goes on to justify himself. But at this point, at this point, Jesus might be smiling at this guy. Hey, this guy gets it. Of course, he'll go on to who's my neighbor type thing, but <laughs> he didn't boink here. Think about this week. Think about loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Think about these things and, and, and say, Lord, I'm not going to let anything come into my thought process because we're going to get into that when we get into the Romans passage. But I'm not going to let anything come into my thinking that is not focused on you. That's a tough way to live life. Did you know that? But it affects everything that we do in our lives. The way that we view the world, the way that we act towards the world, the things that we do in our jobs and in our homes and in our families, it, it should affect everything. And he says, I'm going, this is how I live my life. And then, it's funny, he misses the law, he, he misses the neighbor thing, but nobody's perfect. So he next focuses on the neighbor. So he's just got, he's just got through saying, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Placeon is neighbor. 
Now, the reason that he does this is in 29. And who is my neighbor? Because this is the mindset, plesion in the Greek is the word for a person that lives next to you or around you, but is also in a particular group. Hear this. The Jews only associated with Jews. If you were a Samaritan, oh, you remember Jesus talking about the good Samaritan, right? Everybody walked by, except the Samaritan helped the man who had been hurt. Jesus knew. He knew this. So when the, when the lawyer says, and your neighbor as yourself, and in Jewish culture, they stuck with Jews. They didn't worry about Gentiles. The only reason God invented Gentiles or created Gentiles was to keep the fires of hell burning. That was the mindset. Samaritans were right up there with them. So they didn't, they didn't have anything to do with this. And this, at this point, Jesus goes, well, no, he blanked. Uh, so the, the Jewish people, they loved each other. They took care of each other. They had families. They had communities. And so when he says your neighbor as yourself, it was a specialized group. We get into the habit, I think, sometimes of thinking that we can love people that are here and we should. But when we go outside those doors, that guy next door that keeps throwing stuff in my yard, I don't like him. And I'm not going to love him and I'm not going to care for him. And that's a wrong attitude. By the way, Galatians, Galatians 6.10 Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. As we leave here today, you have an opportunity and an obligation to love those who are unlovable and those who need to know Christ, those who need to encounter the God that we worship every day. I bet you thought I was going to say on Sunday. We're supposed to be worshiping him every day. Then there's an interesting word, so too. I like that word, so too, is as yourself. It's a reflexive pronoun. And what it means is, the meaning is when the action of the subject goes back to, its, to the subject itself. So in other words, what you do to yourself, if I could rephrase this, what you do to yourself, you do to others. That, that makes a bigger contribution to our lives. So how do you treat yourself? <laughs> I get the best, right? I do everything for myself. I, I get the best. Here's the deal. These two are not separate. Love God. The way that is revealed is by how you love the world around you these are not disconnected let me read it again and he answered you shall love your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul everything and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and that's the conjunction that catches these two together so let me say this your relationship with God is no better than your relationship with the lost person your relationship to God is no better 
than your relationship to your neighbor, which is everybody. So the way that we deal with this is that we should try to treat everybody the way that we treat ourselves. And how do we treat ourselves? Pretty good. And so we should be treating others. Yes, the person that irritates you to no end. You know what? That person needs to know Christ. That person needs to know Jesus. That person needs to come into an encounter with a God that you already worship. That person needs to see the love of God in us. And when it's obscure and when it's not visible, they can always come back and say, well, you say that you love God, but you don't like anybody else. Jesus is getting this lawyer to admit the Deuteronomy 6 passage and say, I am going, he's saying, I'm going to treat others the way that I do myself. But then, <laughs> probably knowing Jesus, he goes, and who is my neighbor? He wants, to, uh, he wants to know who his neighbor is. This is where it becomes problematic for Jews. Listen, we should love each other. In this church, we should love each other. There should be no divisions in the church. There, 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 there should be no cliques or groups in the church. Everybody should be loving one another in the church. Because if we're not doing it here, tell me you're doing it out there. And this is how we love God. I like what Trent Butler said in his commentary. It's simple. <laughs> love God, love your neighbor. Then you will be and do what God expects in the Old Testament. Such love must not be half-hearted. Think about, I get, got so excited last night. I was watching, uh, I'm really big into the NHL. I've, I've actually become an NHL fan because I dropped the NFL because of their liberal positions. They even changed the name of my team to the Washington, from the Washington Redskins offensive to the Washington football team. So stupid. But anyway, I'm watching the NHL last night. Carolina is, is, in, a, is in a game with Florida, the Panthers. The game winds up tie. It goes into overtime. And in hockey, you skate three on three in overtime. Because there's not five guys on the ice, there's not ten guys on the ice, now there's only six guys on the ice, and there's many more opportunities. When, when, when the Panthers drove the puck down, and I saw the right wing come up, I go, they're going to score, they're going to win. He flipped it over, scored, I went, yeah! I got so excited, so worked up. That's the way it should be in our Christian life. We get so excited about things that are meaningless, like, the Florida Panthers winning. But when we get up on Monday morning, we go to our jobs, we go to our social place. I'm not excited about this at all. Loving God does not end here. Loving our neighbor does not end with loving fellow believers. Loving God and loving our neighbor, anybody that we come in contact with, should have that same excitement as we live our Christian lives, right? So... And it's easy, you know, I, I threw my hands up like this last night. Yes, they won. 
there was only like two minutes left in the overtime period. Then they go into a shootout, and one guy goes down, tries to knock the puck in, and that continues until one group gets one shot. Well, you don't need to know about hockey, but, um, but anyway. So that's love God. Love God involves loving God with everything that we have and also loving people around us, even the person that doesn't like you. And that's where the rubber meets the road in a Christian walk. Now let's go to Romans. Not only do we love God, but we obey his commands. Romans 8. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing here in Romans chapter 8, and I'll give you a chance because I've got to go over and find it myself. Romans chapter 8. Now, Paul talks here about life in the Spirit. If you have the large print, it's on page 1,200. So the Apostle Paul now is going to talk about life in the Spirit, and you'll see where we're going in just a minute. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen? Amen. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. In other words, it was impossible for us to live by the law of God. By sending his son in likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So when we trust in Christ, we have this imputed righteousness, which is equated with living the law perfectly. That's why we are able to go to heaven, because Jesus paid for our sins. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the Spirit, or the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of, spirit, uh, of the Spirit. Love the Lord your God, and I love my neighbor as myself. Because that's what the whole law can be summed up in, by, by the way. Everything from Exodus, to Exodus, uh, Exodus 19 all the way to Exodus 24, and the 700 and some odd laws, it can be summarized like that. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind... On the spirit is life and peace. Now our verse. For the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So Paul here is talking about the mind. We've already looked at the mind a little bit. Now, everybody has a worldview. You have a worldview. It should be a Christian worldview. Unbelievers have a worldview. And it is an unbelieving worldview. They, the way they see things. Uh, when I was in Bible college years ago, and I was in Dr. Haney's class, Pastoral Ministry 101, it was basically about not what to do as a pastor, what you avoid. And it was a great list. Named seven things that you should never do as a pastor. And we had, we'd stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning with flashcards going over this, trying to study to write this down. And I don't remember any of them. I, uh, I mean, to this day, I don't remember them. But 
That doesn't mean that it's not there and it hasn't helped me. But anyway, I was in class and Dr. Haney kept noticing that I was doing this. I was squinting. I was sitting in the back of the class. So after class, I said, Dr. Haney, do you mind if I move up? Because I'm having trouble seeing the board. And he goes, Michael, when was the last time you went to the eye doctor? He said, maybe you just need glasses. So that week, I made an appointment. You know how the optometrist puts these, this little, you're always worried about, is there something in my eye that's going wrong? Or, but anyway. And she started flicking these things. And I noticed that it went from fuzzy to clear. And I was like, that's it! You know, I was like really excited. So when I got my glasses and I put them on for the first time, I was like, that's what a leaf looks like. <laughs> I was like, I could see everything, right? Our lens has been changed by Christ. We see things totally differently than the world does. The world says God doesn't exist. This week I heard, uh, uh, this week I was, I don't know how I came across the video. Maybe I was looking at how to improve your swing. I don't know. But Tiger Woods came up. Did you know Tiger Woods was involved in a serious car accident? He nearly lost his leg. And he was doing an interview where the guy said, what's your plans for golf? And Tiger Woods said, I will never play golf again. I'm lucky to be alive. He said, and I'm lucky to have my leg, that they were able to save that leg. So Tiger Woods' career is done. And then Tiger Woods said this, I'm glad the big guy upstairs was watching out over me. Somebody said that Tiger Woods is a, was a, a Buddhist. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know whether Tiger Woods believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You can love God all you want, but if you don't trust in Christ, it's a problem. You're going to run into people outside these doors that think you Christians are nuts. God is some fantasy that you invented. God is not real. In, in, in fact, I was floored by this. In my first church, my first full-time church, I invited one of the deacons down to the room to pray with us, and he looks at me and he said, God doesn't answer prayer. He was a professor at Akron University. A doctor. Just because you have your doctorate degree doesn't mean that you're smart. And Honestly, from that little conversation, I don't even know if he's saved. How can you think that God doesn't answer prayer? I, I think that he went to church. I think he did the churchy things. Years later, I'm still thinking about it, and I go, I don't think he's saved. How can a deacon in a Southern Baptist church make a statement that God doesn't? And there were other deacons in that church. That was the first church of Satan. But that's true. Shooting it straight. I 
I had one deacon who's taught Sunday school in that church for 35 years, and he uh, taught Sunday school as a deacon. 35 years said there were errors in the Old Testament. No wonder I got in trouble when I said this is God's word. The pitchforks. We're coming for the pastor. He believes the Bible's real. Yeah. I, that's the most problem I've ever had in any church I've pastored. Life has meaning only if you're happy. Right? So do whatever you think makes you happy. I've even heard that right here at this church. I've heard people say that. Just live your life and be happy. It wasn't anybody that attended regularly. Shock. So whatever you want to do, as long as you're happy, you do it. Good job. Go for it. That's not what the Bible says. If it's immoral, sinful, you think it's fun, but it's not. It only matters if you're happy. Morality. All options are open. I, I don't watch live TV anymore. I've kind of stopped doing that. Um, but I have been watching the NHL, as you know. I watched the game last night. Uh, and re re remind me next Sunday, and I'll talk about what offsides is in hockey. And, um, but some of the commercials are troubling. What they think is normal, transgender, all of this stuff, I just I put it on mute. So I don't, and I get up and go get a Coke or a snack or something and come back and I just watch the game. This is the world view. The world view is you can have a surgery, you can become a man if you're a woman, and you, if you're a woman, you can become a man, and that's normal. Folks, I'm here to tell you that ain't normal. That's a world view. That is a perspective of what the world thinks. All options are open. There is no sin. You can live with somebody and it's perfectly fine. You don't need to be married. All of these things that when we put our spiritual glasses on, we go, whoa, that's not right. Right? This is the world in which we live. And then the last one I think is really, this is all, this is called pastoral theology now. This is rooted in scripture, but it's called pastoral theology. Death, there is no hell, we just cease to exist. I had a man say that to me, not, uh, it was a couple of years ago. He said, well, when we die, we just cease to exist. And I asked him, how do you know? Have you been there? To which he replied, you want to go get some lunch? In other words, changing the subject because he didn't have an answer. There's not one person who has died and then come back to tell us there is no hell. I know these people have these, I saw a great light. I, I don't know. I'm sticking to what scripture says. Uh, when you're dead, you're dead. And we do have scriptures that says, go back and tell my brothers lest they come to this place of torment. We just cease to exist. Think about it. If we cease to exist, then what you're doing here this morning is useless. In fact, your whole life is useless. 
because there's no meaning to life. There's no, there's no reward, there's no punishment, and so you can live however you want to live. And you can do whatever you want to do because if we die and we cease to exist, we forget everything of our old life and we forget all the bad things that we did. We just cease to exist. Hey, go out and party. Right? That's not, that's not what the Bible says. By the way, this is the best-selling book in history. Did you know that? It has sold more copies than any other book in existence. And I'm even talking about Piercing the Darkness. It sold more copies. He says the mind, this is the way that they think. This is the way that they process stuff. The flesh is the sarks, the human nature. Uh, I like what Boa and Grudenayer said in their commentary. Paul is not defining two categories of people here. Christians versus non-Christians. Or spirit-filled Christians versus carnal Christians. That's not what's taking place here. Rather, he is using the opposite extremes of the spectrum to illustrate Two ways of living life in God's world. This is God's world, by the way. One way is to live according to the desires and directives of the flesh, a way that produces hostility towards God and ultimately death. Here's the issue. It's not how bad this Christian lives its life, his, his or her life. It is this is one way to live and this is another way to live. The unbelieving world lives by the flesh, the sarks, the human nature part of life. The Christian lives by the Spirit of God and follows the Spirit of God and listens to the Spirit of God. And the unbelievers, and I, I said this earlier, ekthra, which is the word for hostile. That word means to be an enemy of God. We think about our neighbor next door who puts out the manger scene at Christmas. But may not be saved. That, that person can't possibly be hostile to God, right? Now there are some people we think are hostile to God because they say, get out! I had a lady look at me, bend right over and say, I don't want to hear any of that Jesus stuff. She wound up killing herself a couple of days after that event. It was horrific. She didn't want me to talk about Jesus. That's hostile. But what about the neighbor? What about the guy that's friendly, he waves? Well, the Bible says right here that they're still enemies of God. And yet, even though they are enemies of God, listen to me clearly. Even though they are enemies of God, God loves them and wants to redeem them. And how they do that, how that comes about, is when I start loving God the way that I should in my life, and I start loving people, then they can see the love of God on display and be drawn to that, uh, the Holy Spirit drawing up by using you to share the gospel, the good news. James 4.4 warns believers, by the way, James 4.4. You adulterous people, you do not know that friendship with the world is enmity, enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, period, end of discussion. So you're either a friend of God or you're a foe of God, no matter how good you are. 
I think that's directed at believers. You, I talk about a church. He writes that. Submission. Here's the big problem with the unbelievers. For the mind that is set on the flesh, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The word submit here is hupotasso. That's easy to say, hupotasso. It almost sounds like Bigfoot. Hoop, hoop, but hupotasso. To submit to the orders or directives of someone. Robert Mounts, one of my very favorite theologians. The simple truth is that individuals who are controlled by their lower nature cannot please God, period. No matter what they do, they cannot please him. How can they? Since they are in bondage to a power that is, is in fundamental opposition to the nature and the will of God. It doesn't mean that God can't redeem these people. It just means that they are not bent towards doing... and. Oh, I'm trying to remember. One time I was sharing scripture with somebody and I mentioned the word sin. Big mistake. Get out. No, not you. <laughs> they didn't want to hear the word sin because their mindset is there is no sin. And so when you try to tell them that there is sin in the world, you're going to get feedback. It becomes a stumbling block. Some people don't want to hear it. And hopefully, one of the big things that you can pray as you're telling people is to pray that they might see the light of the gospel. God's law, theos nomos. Theos nomos, the Torah. For us, it is the Bible. So let me, let me, let me, let me summarize here. Here we have Paul's mindset for believers, those who love God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also I love my neighbor as I love myself. I'm going to do to them what I do to myself. You don't abuse yourself. You love yourself, so you love them. Way of thinking or doing, the mindset on, the, on uh, the unbelievers live according to the flesh. Mind or set on the desires of the flesh. The believers who live in the spirit, the mindset is on the desires of the spirit. The ultimate end, in the unbelievers, it leads to death. And by the way, that's spiritual death and separation from God for all eternity. Nobody in this room or nobody watching today should ever wish that on anybody. The believer leads to life and peace. We have eternal life and, of course, the peace of Christ. An attitude towards God, they are hostile to God. We are receptive towards God. And by the way, there are some unbelievers who are receptive towards the gospel. And we need to pray for those. Attitude towards God's standards does not submit, will not submit, cannot submit. Because they've not seen the light of the truth. We're able to submit to, the God, to God's law and his standards and everything. And sometimes we choose not to. And when we choose not to, we get ourselves into trouble. I don't know how many people I've talked to in my life where they've, they've, they've done something that's against God's word deliberately, without thinking, and they come back to me and they say, why did God allow this? 
you did this. This isn't God's issue. This is your issue. And then you pray and ask forgiveness, and God can sometimes straighten the situation out. Sometimes the situation stays with the person forever. Ability to please God, they cannot, and we are able to please Him. Here's, here's what we learn. Genuine Christianity, love for God with every fiber of our being. When you go out of here today, just say, God, I'm going to love you with everything that I have, my whole heart, my whole being. I, I, I want to love you. And then take that love for God and apply it to everybody that you come in contact with. Everybody. And then seek to obey Christ and his teachings and his commands. Seek to live that. And that is what it means. That's the starting point for genuine 